Kia ora. I'm Emile Donovan, and today on The Detail, the rapid rise of political populism in Europe and in countries with similar MMP-style systems to ours. Where has it come from? What is fueling it? And could it happen here? Our populist party, New Zealand First, has behaved in a very democratic and quite reasonable way. Maybe we owe Winston Peters some thanks for this. New Zealand's democracy, even though it's relatively stable at the moment, it is not immune from the same kind of developments we um, are also seeing. I think a growing disconnect between what's happening in the Beltway in Wellington and the rest of the country. So I think we have to be careful. Earlier this month, something big happened in Germany. We start with some breaking news in German politics. The leader of the governing Christian Democratic Union, or the CDU, has said she's stepping down. Annegret Kramp-Karrenbauer, known as AKK, had been widely tipped to succeed Angela Merkel when the Chancellor retires from politics in about 18 months' time. Her decision to stand down follows a scandal over the involvement of the far-right alternative for Germany in a regional election. And we'll get to that in a second. But first, the German political system. Germany is the birthplace of mixed-member proportional representation, or MMP. New Zealand uses an MMP-style system too, but we only adopted ours in the mid-90s. Germany's has been going for more than 70 years. So where did the idea come from originally? Here's Oliver Hartwig. He's the executive director of Think Tank, the New Zealand Initiative. Well, in Germany, MMP started in 1949, and it was a compromise because after the war, they couldn't agree on the new electoral system for the country. So there were some people who wanted to have proportional representation. Others wanted to have first-past-the-post, and in the end, they said, well, let's have both. And out of that confusion, they created MMP. It was probably also an attempt to make sure that all parties are kind of bound together in governing the country because um, they tried everything, not just with MMP, but also with the German constitution, to prevent another Adolf Hitler, of course. So that's been operating since 1949, that system in Germany, and not just at the federal level, I should say, but in all of the 16 states as well. Mm. German governance is a little bit complicated. There is an upper house and a lower house. Can you explain a little bit about the difference between the two and their roles and functions? Sure. Um, it is a bicameral system, as you said, but it's not the kind of bicameral system that you find, for example, in Britain with the House of Lords. The upper house in Germany is actually not really a parliament. It's a representation of state parliaments, state governments rather. So the Bundesrat, the Federal Council, comes together to represent not just um, individual parliaments, if you like, but actually individual governments. So whoever has the majority in a state will be able to nominate um, people to represent that state in the upper chamber. Currently the makeup of the Bundestag, that's the German equivalent of our House of Representatives, is actually sort of similar to New Zealand. The two biggest parties are the centre-right and centre-left parties, the Christian Democrats and the Social Democrats. These are broadly similar to our National and Labour. Together, they command just under half the seats in the House. They also form the government together in what's called a grand coalition. That might seem a bit weird to us, but it's actually fairly common in Germany. In addition, there's a free market classical liberal party, the FDP, which is sort of like New Zealand's ACT Party. They have just over 10% of the seats. There's a Green Party, Die Grüne. They have just under 10%. And a Conservative Values Party, the CSU, which has about 7% of the vote. One area where there's a big difference, though, is around the fringes. 
It's interesting to observe what's happened to the smaller parties. Maybe we start with the liberals. The liberals are the original small party. They were the kingmaker for most of uh, post-war history, but their position has been diminished because there are now many other kingmakers, potential kingmakers involved. So the FDP has been struggling for the last 20, 30 years a bit to redefine its position. And also it was traditionally seen as a, an ally for the Christian Democrats, but that probably doesn't apply any longer. So the FDP... It is facing a very um, tough position at the moment. Then we have the Greens, and the Greens uh, initially started as a smaller party, typically around the 5 to 10 percent mark. Um, well, the Greens have actually grown quite a bit in recent years, and they're currently at 20 to 25 percent in opinion polls. So they have actually taken the role of the Social Democrats on the left. So they are probably now the biggest party you can find uh, in in that part of the political spectrum. Then we have the left party, and the left party was initially also quite marginal, between 5 and 10% after unification, but they have grown quite a bit, and especially in East Germany, they are now somewhere between 25 and close to 40% in some federal states in um, East Germany and former East Germany. In West Germany, that's a different story, because traditionally the party doesn't have too many roots there. And then the latest edition, the Alternative for Deutschland, well, that started off as a Eurosceptical party. And initially, it was quite a respectable Eurosceptical party, founded by a few economics professors in opposition to the bailout deals around the Euro crisis, and especially around Greece. But that has been taken over more and more by populists and um, some really extreme people on the right. So this party has morphed into a right-wing populist party, also particularly strong in East Germany, but now represented in all 16 state parliaments across Germany and, of course, also in the federal parliament, the Bundestag. This far-right party, the Alternative für Deutschland, has had a pretty crazy few years. It was only founded in 2013, but immediately struck a chord with a lot of people. In the most recent June elections, the party won 94 of the 709 seats in the Bundestag, making it the third largest party in the country after just four years of existence. But the party's politics are controversial. Parts of the AFD have racist, Islamophobic and xenophobic views. Many people describe them as philosophically close to neo-Nazis. Well, that is a fair characterization of definitely some people within the AFD. So if you're thinking about the leader of the AFD in the state of Thuringia, Björn Höcke, um, and you just read some of his quotes, you will definitely see some similarities between his thinking and um, some Nazi vocabulary, at least. And indeed, a German court uh, declared it legal to actually call him a fascist. Other people within the AFD are probably more on the conservative side, so I think it would be unfair to characterize them as Nazis. Other people are probably also more on the economic liberal side. Um, but it's a party that certainly has some really extremist elements uh, within it. Extremist enough that all other parties in German Parliament informally agreed never to get in bed with the AFD, even if their support was the difference between winning and losing. Until earlier this month, that is, when a bombshell rocked German politics in a little place in the former East Germany called Thüringen. Thuringia, or Thüringen, as uh, it's called in German, it's a small state. Um, it's a state with a population of just around 2 million people. It's in East Germany. And for the first 20 years out of uh, Thuringian politics after unification, it was seen as a Christian Democrat stronghold. So it was in Thuringia that the CDU even 
um, managed to uh, get absolute majorities in state elections after unification. Tell me then about the most recent federal elections in Thüringen. What happened and why was it a big deal? Well, what happened in Thüringen was um, that the uh, state had uh, uh, state elections in late 2019, and um, the outcome was that the normal parties of the Democratic Center, so the Greens, the Social Democrats, the Liberals, and the Christian Democrats combined only had about 40% of the vote behind them, whereas um, the extremes on both the left and the right together had an absolute majority combined. So that's the left party and the AFD. And that ruled out normal coalition-making, deal-making, because you would always have to include one of the extreme parties, either the left party or the AFD, in order to form a government. And that left um, Turingia in, in a very difficult state because the CDU, as the um, party on the center-right, had ruled out initially working with the AFD or indeed working with the left party. So there was no coalition, no potential coalition possible just mathematically because the votes weren't there. And so for months, um, Turingia discussed how they should get out of the situation, how to find a, a workable majority in parliament. And that actually led to um, a, a kind of a mini catastrophe in parliament when they tried to elect a state premier. And the outcome was very controversial. Basically, the CDU, the equivalent of New Zealand's National Party, combined with the FDP, Germany's ACT, and the far-right AFD to elect a premier. And that was a first because uh, so far it was a taboo or it was seen as a taboo to cooperate with the AFD in running um, government affairs. Now Turingen had an elected state premier who only managed to get elected because of the votes coming from the far right. In the end, it got messy. The leader of the Christian Democrats, Anaglet Klamp-Karrenbauer, often seen as the natural successor to Angela Merkel as German Chancellor when Merkel steps down later this year, resigned. And Merkel herself was furious. The election of this minister-president was a peculiar procedure which had breached a basic conviction both for the CDU and also for myself. But Germany is far from an isolated case. Far-right or nationalist parties hold more than 20% of the vote in five European representative democracies, Switzerland, Hungary, Austria, Denmark and Belgium. But interestingly, New Zealand seems pretty resistant to the far-right, certainly in political terms. There are more than 50 far-right Facebook pages based here, according to one commentator, but no party advocates for the sort of extreme positions you hear from the AFD, for example. Why is that? I'm Richard Harmon. I'm the managing editor of Politic, the political news website. And I, I, there's been a bit of talk around about this in Wellington over the last week or so for reasons you might only be able to speculate on. But maybe we um, owe Winston Peters some thanks for this in the sense that New Zealand First back in the 90s picked up on those kind of populist nationalistic themes that we're now seeing expressed in a much more extreme fashion even in Australia and that we're relatively lucky that our populist party New Zealand First has behaved in a very democratic and quite sort of reasonable way over the years. The word populism is such an interesting word now because people sort of throw it around as like a foul, you know, like a like a curse word, but 
I mean, is there anything wrong with populism as sort of a political philosophy? Surely, by definition, all successful mainstream political parties, by definition, are populist. Well, yeah, I mean, this is the great debate, isn't it? Um, <laughs> how democratic should democracies be? <laughs> exactly. uh, and the late Mike Moore had a, a saying, well, he had a great many, but this was one of them. He used to say the people are right, even when they're wrong. Uh, you know, he probably then said, think about it. Um, but the thing that hovers over everything with populism is, isn't it, the 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 spectre of of Germany in the 1930s, and to a certain extent, some of the things that we're starting to see in countries like Hungary and Poland uh, at the moment, and I guess getting back to Germany, the AfD in Germany. Um, so, populism per se is not a problem. It's just that when populism sort of strays out into the loony fringes, that we have problems. One, one interesting phenomenon that's happened with these extreme nationalist parties is in France with Marine Le Pen. And as they've got closer to power, and given the chaos that's there at the moment, it is entirely conceivable that they could win the next presidential election, um, they've become more and more centrist. So the question may be that this extreme nationalism in Europe is is a sort of ladder to get into power mm. and that parties change when they get there, although that has not been the case in, in Hungary. So it's in some senses we're learning as we go along. Some observers have sort of opined that this situation, the, the, the rise of extremist parties around the fringes of conventional representative democracies, has come about at least partly because the more mainstream or, or, or centrist parties have sort of abandoned their political and, and, and philosophical roots in, a, in sort of a vicious bloodbath battle for the middle of the road for voters appealing to voters rather than bringing voters into the course, which um, has sort of left a vacuum at either end of the political spectrum. Is that oversimplified in, in your view? I suppose it's difficult to talk about lots of countries in such a broad brush kind of way. Well, that's been an argument that I've seen uh, um, rehearsed with respect to to the um, recent Irish election, mm. that there was a feeling that the, the two main parties had simply market researched themselves into a vacuum in many senses. And I think there's some truth in that. I, I, I mean, to paraphrase Jim Bolger, bugger the pollsters, you know. I mean, it, political parties these days regard politics or political ideology as a product. And they go out and they focus group it and they... And, and both our main parties are doing this as we speak, you know, don't frighten the horses mm. is is the watchword for all political parties these days. And and the more they do that, yes, I think it opens up space at the ends of the spectrum. I was talking to, in fact, a pollster for one of the main parties yesterday who was making the point that there's a vacuum in New Zealand at the moment for a social conservative party. And that's because if the main parties get into extreme social conservatism, they alienate more people than they win. Mm. So by heading for the centre, they're leaving space at the end, at the extremes. And I think you're right. I think that's exactly why it's happening. Is it the case that, that far right or far left parties do represent people's political views or that the traditional centre right and centre left or even the right and left parties 
don't represent people's political or social views. Yeah. Well, uh, the situation in Germany is different, isn't it? Because there is always this third rail that runs through German politics, which is the Nazis. Mm. And uh, to even suggest that you could be sympathetic to anti-immigrant race-based politics is to cast yourself into a very dark corner of German society. On the other hand, we know that the AFD has found its roots in regionalism in the East Germany, but also in high unemployment. So the, the, the adherents, its adherents, are looking for excuses, revenge, whatever. And the, polit- the main parties probably need, I think, to take a little more account of some of these extremist views. Not, it's quite interesting to look at the moment at the, at the Democrat nomination process in mm. the United States and to see that Bernie Sanders, who has very different solutions to Donald Trump, but he's addressing the same issues that Donald Trump's addressing, that, you know, the, 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 the economic decline of the Rust Belt states, the sense of alienation by non-educated Amer- white Americans, etc., etc. And, and so I just wonder whether the, the main parties all over the world, really, have become too metropolitan, too urban, forgetting about those people who live a little further from the centre of society. A political phenomenon that we see all around the world at the moment, I think, is the sort of growing philosophical gulf, maybe you could describe it as, between what decision-makers think and what people think. Do you think that that is... I mean, the way that I've characterised that, do you think that's true, first of all? And secondly, in terms of what is happening in Germany, I mean, we have an MMP system here in New Zealand. Do you think that we are immune from these sorts of things happening in terms of the rapid rise of really extreme parties? Or is this something that we should be keeping an eye on as well? Okay, for the first question, yes, I think it is a phenomenon that we see in lots of countries. It's been described very well by um, David Goodhart, for example, the former FT um, journalist in London who characterized it as a conflict between the somewheres and the anywheres. So it's really a conflict between people who could be anywhere. So the leading um, elite, if you like, um, whether you work in London, Washington, Wellington or Paris doesn't really matter anymore because you have transferable skills. And the somewheres, people who are still feeling a loyalty to the region in which they grew up and who feel a disconnect, actually, from the elites who govern them. And we saw this, of course, in the Brexit vote. We saw it in the election of Donald Trump, and we see it probably also in the rise of the AFD in Germany. So this is a global phenomenon, and I think you're right to point this out. Um, Whether this could play out in New Zealand, well, I think there is a chance, because New Zealand's democracy, even though it's relatively stable at the moment, is not immune from the same kind of developments. We um, are also seeing, I think, a growing disconnect between what's happening in the Beltway in Wellington and the rest of the country. So I think we have to be careful. Uh, In some ways, I think we just have to look at countries like Germany or look at um, Trump's America and just ask ourselves, um, could that happen here? And what could we do to counter that? I mean, for the first answer to that question, I think it is important to take the concerns of the somewheres um, seriously. 
because um, they they have a point and they have a, um, a reason to be heard. Um, and I think we should be very careful not to lose sight of them. And the other thing we can do, we can try to just um, work on civics education. We can try to increase our political knowledge. We could have a, a better political discourse in the country than we currently have, which is happening between our leads, but not with ordinary people and voters out there in the countryside. So I think we have to be careful because the last thing we want to see in New Zealand is a repeat of these problems that we're currently seeing, especially in Europe. I think anything's possible. and I mean, who would have said that New Zealand would not be a place where someone would shoot up a mosque? Um, it's, it's always possible. I think it's more possible and more probable in other countries. But it would pay not to risk trying to find out through experience <laughs> and rather to make sure that, you know, we had a society which was inclusive and democratic and in which politicians were held in high regard, and I think that's important, um, and behaved in such a way that they could be held in high regard, uh, which may be relevant to some of the events of the past fortnight. And, uh, you know, it, it, if you look at Australia, for example, where I think this is more probable mm -hmm. than here, um, politicians there, there's a long history of corruption. Uh, there's a long history of politicians focusing on their own internal party politics rather than the electorate that elected them and ignoring some of those issues. So we can learn from Australia, but I think at the same time we're not bad actually at being inclusive and democratic and I think we just need to keep doing that and, and, and to make sure that our, our institutions are also doing it. That's the detail for today. I'm Emile Donovan. The detail is brought to you by newsroom.co.nz and made possible by RNZ and NZ On Air. Hit the subscribe button to stay across the detail every day. And if you're on Apple, please leave a rating as it helps other listeners find us. This episode was engineered by Jeremy Ansell and produced by Alexia Russell. And thanks to Oliver Hartwick and Richard Harmon. Ka kite anō. <laughs>